0: What's the deal with all this movie news? Seriously, though. It's been a crazy week, y'all. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to do a brief rundown, or not so brief, depending how much I actually, I guess I have to say about this. uh, Rundown of all the movie news that has hit this week some of the big stories and uh that's pretty much all we're going to be doing in lieu of a review because i refuse to watch transformers movies basically um we're just yeah we're going to talk about all all the movie news and thankfully there's been quite a lot this week this has been kind of a crazy week for for movie news and uh it couldn't have happened at a better time that i was planning sort of a news rundown so first of all, let's go with some breaking news uh, that we learned earlier today, as of this recording, that Jurassic World 2 will actually be called Jurassic World Fallen uh, Fallen Kingdom. And um, as far as the subtitle, I mean, it's not a, it's kind of um, it's kind of hard to sort of speculate on what that might uh, entail. I mean, the tagline they're going with. The return of uh, Jeff Goldblum's Dr. Ian Malcolm is Life Finds a Way, a clear reference to the original film. And uh, it seems like the franchise is leading to even more chaos. And we've heard that director J.A. Bayona is sort of... uh, shepherding more of a a more of a, a film in style of his horror films like The Orphanage and things like that like his his like Spanish horror style and not as much like the the action spectacle that director Colin Trevorrow delivered in 2015. As far as the the title itself it just it, it to me has just a sense of foreboding to it um, just leading me to think that they're probably going to parlay off of the jurassic world lingering plot thread of uh, BD Wong's character uh, of uh, Hen- I think dr. Henry Wu um, taking the, uh, the embryos with him and uh, And um, just you know kind of blowing that out even further and uh, You know, I- I'm excited to see what happens with this one I know a lot of people hate jurassic world or, or very critical of it at least I actually thought it was a pretty fun movie Yes, it has its issues um, yeah, there's some weird tonal things going on in there, and probably a few too many nods to the original film, but I mean, if we're not going to dock Force Awakens for the incessant callbacks to the original trilogy, you gotta you have to kind of give Jurassic World the same, the same free pass. So I just wanted to get that one out of the way, the Jurassic World story, which is sort of a non-story, and all it is is really a title and a poster that's the same logo. With a subtitle that we uh, that we just learned, and that's that's about it. It wasn't a whole. It's like nobody's really nobody's really losing any brain, like you know, losing any brain cells or sleep trying to come up with these these poster art for Jurassic Park films at this point. It's just basically the same T Rex logo, different shades uh, with the same font and that kind of thing. But I will say that I'm very happy they're not going with just just Jurassic World Two as a title because. This franchise has been, and I mentioned this, uh, you know, a few weeks ago on the Cinemaholics podcast, that this franchise is kind of ridiculous with its naming conventions. And it's as someone who likes sort of an order to things and like uh, a thoughtfulness and and, uh, consistency, the fact that they went from Jurassic Park to the Lost World, Jurassic Park to Jurassic Park Three to Jurassic World. If they would have gone with Jurassic World 2, that would have driven me nuts. So I like that they're just going with subtitles, and hopefully it'll be just be the like, Jurassic World blah, Jurassic World blah instead of then get rid of numbers altogether. It's it's showing a real lack of imagination when you you just add a number to the end of your movie title and just you know keep counting up from there. Um, I think it's sort of telling that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has, has embraced. Uh, subtitles and a sort of a skewed numbers after Pretty much after Iron Man I mean I guess you could say Guardians is doing that with Volume 2 and But even that is sort of a, a playoff of the awesome mix uh, Within each film um, But we'll get into the MCU and all that in a little bit So first of all I, I just wanted to get Jurassic World out of the way Before we get into the even bigger story That's been that really came through the last few days That's right. I'm talking about Han Solo because this has been what a whirlwind this has been, uh, this last couple of days, just with with uh, the way that this project has come about. So of course this is set for release next year. uh, It's uh, 2018. Sorry, 2018. And uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the directors of the Lego Movie, 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, etc. They've been leading the film. With Alden Ehrenreich from Hail Caesar in the lead as Han Solo, young Han Solo, I guess, and uh, Donald Glover as Leno Carizian and, and a bunch of other people involved, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, etc. But uh, it's a couple days ago they were fired from the project. I mean, first we heard that they were they had exited, and it wasn't clear exactly what the rationale was behind that. Uh, creative differences was what 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 they cited in their statement. Um, which is could be industry—it's industry speak for any number of things—but it came out pretty soon after that they were fired by Lucasfilm by Kathleen Kennedy and and her uh, you know her team, reportedly because they were taking the project too comedic in tone. And I'm I'm I have some mixed feelings about this. And well, we're not even done laying it out. Let me lay it out. Let me finish laying it out first. So they they were they exited. We found out it was because they were fired because they were taking the Han Solo film um, to, down too much of a comedic path, and then there were rumored replacements. Lawrence Kasdan was up there. Um, of course screenwriter of Empire Strikes Back and he's been involved in these new films as well from a writing standpoint. Joe Johnston of the Rocketeer and Captain America the First Avenger and Jurassic Park 3 actually some other movies he was talked about as like possibly in the mix but then the third name that they that they threw in there is actually the man who ended up Getting the the position, or sort of, I guess, shepherding whatever shape this film is going to take, and that is Oscar winner Ron Howard. Of course, those of you who uh, are a little on the younger side might not remember that Ron Howard has been. He worked with George Lucas on American Graffiti. He uh, he directed Willow back in the eighties, which is a Lucasfilm production, a fantasy. Uh, starring Warwick Davis, who's mostly known for as Wicket the Ewok from *Return of the Jedi*, uh, and, and has kind of been involved in most of the Star Wars films since then in different various roles, and uh, has also been in the Harry Potter films that kind of thing. So Ron Howard will be taking over the Han Solo film from Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and uh, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed in this. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I was intrigued at the idea of lord and miller's take on the star wars universe i thought they would bring something fresh and um you know new and and mix it up a little bit i think uh, i think that the fact that the fact that Lucasfilm got rid of them because they were making a Lord and Miller movie doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me I mean, how do you get the guys that did the Jump Street movies the Lego movie and then get rid of them because they're making your movie too funny? I don't I don't understand how you didn't exactly foresee that Up front considering that that's basically their claim to fame is Revitalizing properties that you you didn't think would would work on screen and and making them like, you know fun adventurous romps And I thought that that tone would have fit Han Solo pretty well, um, considering he is very devil-may-care and and sort of out for himself and that kind of thing when we meet him in A New Hope, which is after the story would be said, obviously. Um, So I, I I was excited to see what Lord Miller could bring to it. And the fact that this is the second standalone film and the second time that Lucasfilm has had issues with Uh, directors you know there was some of that going on on rogue one with gareth edwards was sort of replaced at the last minute and had tony gilroy stepped in to sort of finish the movie i guess and kind of lead some of the reshoots and that kind of thing um it's I, i think that just goes to show that they're being very risk averse with this franchise that Ron Howard is is more of a leg- legacy choice like I said about his history with Lucasfilm than anything not necessarily, I don't really think let's break it down I don't really think Ron Howard is coming in here with a visionary take on the Han Solo movie or something like uh, fresh and new I feel like they've got him because they want a reliable blockbuster that they can put out and trust that it's gonna turn a profit and and uh, you know make back its marketing budget and all of that um. And that that leads me to think that the movie's still going to be good because Ron Howard is mostly a solid director. But if we're looking at his stuff in the last decade versus Lord Miller, I mean, it's like it's 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 no contest. I mean, they they've been delivering consistently strong, surprising uh, standout work. And Ron Howard's best films are from the 90s, mostly uh, in the early 2000s. I mean, it's been a while since he's had like a film that really knocked people's socks off. And I feel like they just brought him in here because they know what to expect from him, and because of that, I feel like I feel like I kind of know I kind of know what to expect from the movie now. Whereas before, I was more intrigued at the idea of Lord and Miller take their their version of a Star Wars movie with Han Solo in the lead. That sounds intriguing. Sign me up for that. Um, kind of like Edgar Wright's take on Ant Man, which we all got robbed of, and uh, another Disney subsidiary with Marvel. Um, and that's not to say that Peyton Reed's version of Ant-Man wasn't wasn't good. It was fine. It was fun. I, I like it. But I don't love it. It's nothing special to me. And the fact that Rogue One also was another... It's my. I mean, it's like my sixth favorite of the eight live-action Star Wars films. So what read into that what you will. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think this is going to really be... Um, I don't think this is really going to be a, a top-notch Star Wars movie anymore. I mean, I think it, it had potential... And I was interested in it. Of course, I'm still interested in it as a hardcore Star Wars fan, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not as hyped for it as I as I would have been otherwise. And I'm start of start of. I'm starting to realize that these standalone movies are more just going to be like. Eh, they're 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 more going to probably be more filler between the the saga installments that are the ones that I really get excited for. Like I'm, astronomically. More excited for the Last Jedi than I am for Han Solo than I was for Rogue One, um, than I am for any of these spin-offs. Really, save for maybe an Obi Wan Kenobi, because Ewan McGregor needs needs that in his life, and we need to see it. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's not a whole lot about this story that really inspires um, faith in in the film, in the production, or particular excitement, or uh, you know, I, I I just feel like creatively this is a step backwards. When I think Lucasfilm was was trying to take a chance and then maybe chickened out and decided to just rein it in for whatever reason. Although the funny thing is that it sounds like they've shot maybe two thirds, three quarters of the film, or like half of it at least. So it it makes me wonder how much of that footage is going to be scrapped so that Ron Howard can can uh, take kind of take creative control. Um, like are we going to see how much, how much footage are we going to see in marketing for the Han Solo movie that ends up not getting used and I'm talking of course about Rogue One where if you look at those trailers there's a lot in there that we didn't see there's an entirely different l- climax of the film that was totally unused because of all the creative shifts behind the scenes and stuff so we'll see I mean Ron Howard's Han Solo movie or whatever they end up calling this thing I wish they would just give it a title already because it's probably going to be something very boring and bland anyway. Han Solo, a Star Wars story, or something like that. So just give me the fucking title. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. It's just, it's been an interesting story to follow the last few days with this. And a lot of people are speculating that since Lord and Miller was talking with DC about doing Flash before they sort of jump ship on that to do commit to Han Solo, whether or not they're going to flip-flop back to... The Flash movie, since that film has also been plagued by multiple director changeovers. I mean, they've, they've been trying to get that thing going. Right now, post-Justice League, I think the only one that's really started production on the DCEU side of things is Aquaman. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens with that. I'm definitely... I mean, I think, a, I think Lord and Miller would, would have also been a great fit for The Flash. So, I mean, if they're not going to do Han Solo, at least we'll get We'll get a new project for them you know they can bring their their flair and their sense of humor and their energy that's the thing that that strikes me most about their movies whether it's jump street or cloudy with a chance of meatballs or lego movie or something else um they have they bring like a like a liveliness to their to their films and i feel like that would have been perfect for han solo but it also would be pretty perfect for the flash so, um, you know, hopefully, I mean, they'll land on their feet, I'm sure, regardless, because they're very talented filmmakers, but um, The Flash is not a bad place for it to land, especially now, thanks to the Flashpoint Paradox animated film, the CW series, and, and some other stuff that I've, I've been looking into, that uh, I'm way more invested in that character than I have been historically, So um, so we'll stay tuned to that. I'm sure that we'll hear about that sooner rather than later, especially if DC does jump on lord and miller's availability now so moving into there let's just make talking about flash that's actually a pretty good segue let's go into some odds and ends for uh for the dc side of things so few things we heard this week that i wanted to just kind of comment on so first of all regards to the probably the biggest dc related story this week uh, which is of course gal gadot's paycheck discrepancy with henry cavill and uh you know reports were coming in saying that she made three hundred fifty thousand for wonder woman and henry cavill made 14 million or something for man of steel when they were both sort of in early-ish stages of their careers uh i mean she was in the fast and furious films i believe uh, four five and six and uh he was you know he'd been in uh, the tutors i think and, and some other th- you know some other films but nothing Nothing, but he's actually, fun fact, he was actually in The Count of Monte Cristo, the 2002 film, playing Jim Caviezel's, uh, well, spoilers, Jim Caviezel's son in that movie. So, young. do you want to see young Henry Cavill, young Superman, who was probably about, I don't know, 20 at the time? Uh, check out that, that film, that's actually a good movie as well. Um, but, it, you know, that. so the internet, of course, that news dropped, and the internet lost its shit um crying you know sexism and and you know the gender pay gap and wage gap and all of that and you know i was part of that group because i that's bullshit i'm a feminist and i was i was you know kind of upset about what the fuck. that's not fair why does he get so much so much more like 40 i think i saw something that was like 43 times more money would have been the difference between 350 and and, because i didn't do the math (laughs) 350 and 14 million uh, I'm am a writer and stuff. I don't I don't I don't I don't do math unless I have to. So um, of course it came out later that 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 report wasn't taking into account um, you know all the the bonuses and and uh, you know percentage of whatever that that Henry Cavill had in involved in that and then that he and Gal Gadot basically made about the same for their initial run as uh, Superman and Wonder Woman respectively. So now that Wonder Woman is a huge hit, I saw something today that it passed 600 million worldwide, which is great news for the film, which I was a big fan of, as you guys know. You can listen to my episode that I did on that one already, um, and uh, and the DCU as a whole sort of focusing more on. And Jeff Johns even said it recently. They're not really gonna. There's nothing they really need to change. He saying he's claims, but. Um, that's, of course, co-head of DC Films, Jeff Johns, comic book legend, um, that they're focusing more on hope and optimism and change, and now Wonder Woman being the huge that it is, really sort of validates that, uh, a move in that direction for that franchise, for that shared universe, and sort of shifting out of the bleakness of Man of Steel and BVS, which, I, I mean, if you've been paying attention, I feel like those films have sort of been leading in that direction already, um, just kind of leading Superman's arc to a brighter place. But, um, anyway, long story short, let me get back to what I was initially saying. Gal Gadot will now be able to negotiate for a much higher payday for the sequel for any subsequent, you know, reprisals of that role in Justice League films and Wonder Woman films and, and, you know, cameos and other things. And, and, um, you know, she, she's going to be, she's, she's fine. She's going to do just fine, guys. Um, so you know whether it'll whether she's going to make 14 million or whatever like Henry Cavill I mean I think honestly she's sort of becoming the marquee player of the DCEU uh, right now just by the fact that her film was most most warmly uh received as far as critics and audiences alike uh, of the four to date so we'll see what happens with that of course we've already heard that Wonder Woman 2 is going to be co-written by um, by Jeff Johns and the first film's director, Patty Jenkins. So I don't think we... As far as I know, I don't think we have official word that Patty Jenkins is directing the sequel. But if she's co-writing it... Um, actually, maybe we do have official word. I'd have to check on that. But um, most likely, Patty Jenkins will be back write, co-writing and directing and everything. And and it should be... Uh, it should be, hopefully, the same team from uh, from the first time around. Whether they focus on contemporary setting you know, post-Justice League, as has been reported, or if they go World War II or some other war or whatever. Um, I mean, we'll, that remains to be seen. We'll, um, you know, we'll get more news on that as we go along, I'm sure. But that's sort of the Wonder Woman side of things. So I was kind of, I was relieved to hear that Gal Gadot's uh, paycheck was a little, was, was more reflective of where she, you know, the starting pay for a lot of actors in superhero roles right like back like that, because ultimately... It's the actor's going to benefit more than the film would by having that person in there. Because Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, even Chris Evans when he played Captain America, I heard he got paid about the same for his first Avenger. Um, You know, those characters are what makes it iconic. Nobody's going to see Wonder Woman because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm the biggest Gal Gadot fan ever. Now they might be because now they're like, oh my God, Wonder Woman's in this movie. Let's go see it. But uh, you could have had like thousands of actresses that would have also been good fits for that film although i think gal gadot was was perfect and it was great casting she's the one that really lucks out from having that opportunity rather than the other way or rather than the film being you know rather than her lending her star power to the film because obviously you know where i'm going with this so um so that was that was a big story this week gal gadot and wonder woman thing but then some other odds and ends just in the DC realm before we move over to, uh, to the Marvel side of things. So we heard that uh, Matt Reeves, director of War for the Planet of the Apes, which is getting such incredible reception. I'm seeing everything on Twitter about how it's a masterpiece and it's like the, one of the best movies of the year. And I loved Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I talked about that on this podcast. I'll uh, probably put the link to that episode in the show notes. And he says that, of course, he's directing the Batman for D- the DCEU. He says that he's hoping that the film's going to have, like, um, a Hitchcock influence. And if you know anything about Batman, and obviously we all do, because his parents got shot in Crime Alley. Everybody, know, everybody knows the story at this point. It's We've seen it depicted about 4,500 times. Um, that's perfect. That means that the Batman film, whether they go for R-rated or not, will have sort of a dark and uh noir-ish uh tone to it suspenseful and be almost like a just a crime thriller which i think is if you look at the best batman film arguably the best live action batman film is the dark knight that's very much crime thriller-ish so if you're going to throw in a little bit of horror elements in there a little bit of like uh, a little bit more tension. um In keeping with the Hitchcock comparison, I think that that should be that's that's a really strong um, approach, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Matt Reeves brings to it. I'm a big fan of his. I mean, like as I said, I loved Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, one of my probably my favorite movie that year of 2014. Um, I like I love Cloverfield, I love Let Me In, and he's done consistently strong work um, pretty much across the board. So I think that the Batman is is a good marriage of Filmmaker and material and he's made he's been talking up obviously doing a lot of Press for uh, for war for the planet of the apes He's been comparing Caesar and how he's like a tortured character to Bruce Wayne and I think I think that's a that's There's a lot of legitimacy to that So I'm excited to see his vision come to life on screen and another interesting one that I have heard this week Is um Joel Schumacher of course of Batman Forever Batman and Robin so he basically said that he wanted to do an Arkham film. They had that scene at the end of Batman Forever that uh, where the Riddler is locked up. And he wanted to do a film set in Arkham. And I, 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 for one, think that's a great idea. I mean, we had the success of the Arkham games. And I, I would love to see someone like either Matt Reeves or some other filmmaker sort of Set a Batman film really centered in Arkham Asylum Whether Batman's locked in there And you just follow the loose plot of the game The first game, Arkham Asylum Or uh, or just some sort of variation on that I, I think that that's a great idea Because you can easily do a Batman movie For 40, 50 million Batman is not the type of character That you need to have a movie That costs 200 million dollars It's He's just not You you put You do like a Batman like raid Or dread Or uh, Um John Wick style, that's the kind of movie Batman needs to be in. You don't need beams in the sky, you don't need big CG monsters. That's not his thing. He's a street-level character. So, uh, as far as whether Joel Schumacher maybe wasn't the best person to do an Arkham film, uh, I can agree with that, because even though Batman Forever I uh, will defend it to an extent, I do think it's it's sort of a fun, campy take on Batman without going full tilt into bullshit that Batman and Robin took it into... Um, I think that his idea there is sound and, uh, yeah, probably best we're not getting it from him, but let's, let's hold on to that idea. That's, there's a good kernel there and, um... You know, re-ad- re- re-address that When it's time to make all these Six million Batman movies that the DCEU Seems like they're really focusing on Between Batgirl and Nightwing And Gotham City Sirens It's like everything seems to the, So many of the in-development projects In the DCEU seem like they're just Stemming off of the fact that people love Batman so much Which is great, but it's also like Don't dilute Batman And Freddie and I were talking about this today actually Don't dilute Batman so much that we get a new Batman movie or a new movie set in Gotham City and Batman's sector of the DCEU, so to speak, um, every couple months. I mean, we don't need like three Batman Gotham set movies, a, a, you know, a year. It's just, it's overkill. There's a lot of other DC stuff going on. But um, the Arkham set uh, plot, I think, is one one take that I, I think would really work on screen. So... One other thing that I want to talk about. Well, besides the fact that Batman Mask of the Phantasm is getting a Blu ray HD remaster. That's great news for people like people like me who are big fans of Batman in all his forms, and including the uh, Batman the animated series from the '90s, which still stands as one of the best interpretations of the character ever. But the other thing that really hit me in my in my fanboy heart when it comes to like Batman and the kind of superhero, well, not Batman, but superheroes in general, is that Dean Cain was recently quoted as saying Dean Cain of Of uh, currently of Supergirl fame, I guess. He plays Jeremiah Danvers on that show, on the CW, um, adoptive father of Supergirl herself. And, uh, of course, he played Superman slash Clark Kent on uh, the ABC series Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman from 1993 to 1997. He said that he's hoping for a revival of that show. They went for four seasons, and it ended on a very, like, disappointing confusing note where they're they came downstairs so i think if i let me see hold on a second i think lois and clark were talking about have trying to have a baby because at this point in season four they were already married um you know obviously she knew his identity they were married blah 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 And they were trying to figure out about can they have a kid together. And they found out that they couldn't. And then they come downstairs and there's a baby there. And there was this whole plot line that they had planned out for season 5. About where that was going to go. And they never got to do it because according to Dean Cain. um, Terry Hatcher got pregnant and then they just like cancelled it. The ratings, I remember this very vividly because... Uh, This part I remember very vividly because I was a huge fan of Lois and Clark back in the day In fact from 93 to 97 I I think I got into it like maybe midway through season one and then went back and watched the old ones And then every week it was I think it was pretty much almost almost consistently on Sunday nights At like 8 o'clock and then they moved it to 7 at one point and they were shifting time, time slots like crazy um, that was basically my favorite show for, for about three to four years. Of course, I was, you know, I was a, a kid at the time. I was, you know, let's see, uh, 93. So I was like a tween, basically, while the show was on the air. And um, I love I loved it. And that's part of why I like Supergirl now is that it has sort of a similar, like, not taking itself too seriously but also taking itself seriously vibe it's like a, to- a tonal mashup between something like um like the darker elements like Buffy but also like the campier elements like Lois and Clark it sort of marries those two uh those two two tones a little bit because Lois and Clark admittedly there I have the seasons on blue on not Blu-ray, on DVD um, there are a lot of episodes that are not very good where I've gone back and it's just embarrassing to watch some of it. And you're like, wow, this was superhero entertainment in the 90s. All right. We're going with this. Fine. Whatever. And mostly centering on the villains. I always thought the chemistry between Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher was on point. And, uh, I was, you know, I was really into the, the love story with them and the the love triangle with Lex Luthor. I thought John Shea was amazing as Lex Luthor and, uh, he's always sort of been the Lex Luthor that I've had in my mind, not Gene Hackman and definitely not Kevin Spacey. Not because Kevin Spacey was bad in Superman Returns, but just because that that movie's not very, not very memorable for me in a lot of ways. Um, so as far as the Lois and Clark revival, I mean, they're bringing everything back. ABC, uh... I mean, not ABC. I don't know if ABC is behind Roseanne or what. The I don't know the production company behind that one, but Roseanne's coming back, and X Files has come back, and and uh, Full House has come back, which is was on ABC, and I believe is a Warner Brothers production, like Los and Clark. So, I mean, who knows? Anything's possible these days. We're getting freaking. That's so. Ravens coming back. I mean, we had Girl Meets World for what three years. DuckTales is coming back. So, I mean, at this point, it's like, it wouldn't surprise me if Netflix or Hulu or somebody um, bankrolls a Lois and Clark TV movie, miniseries, whatever. Um, I don't think we need to go full 22 episodes or anything crazy, but I think throwing out like six, eight episodes or, or even just, uh, you know, four hour thing uh to resolve the plot line from the end of uh of season four and kind of pick up with where those characters are now 20 something years later actually it's been let's see it's been pretty much 20 years since the show ended this uh this year so I'm totally down for that I will watch the hell out of it uh, whether or not it happens it sounds like it's just Dean Kane's pipe dream right now where he's basically just wants to go get back to his most famous role and uh you know i i don't i mean he's still in the warner brothers dc family being on supergirl so that's anything like i said anything's possible if they just if they decide to make it a go all they got to do is pull him over from the supergirl set one day when he's guest starring there and and uh and you know sign some contracts so it wouldn't surprise me if that happens if it doesn't whatever but you know uh i'm down so it's putting that energy out there as far as the Marvel side of things, let's switch gears a little bit. So we're hearing a lot more about Sony's plans for Spider-Man and, and they're, they're they're really sticking to this Spider-Man universe thing, um, even though last time they tried it with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, it didn't, didn't go so well. Um, as you know, that film was pretty much just centered on trying to create a launch pad and for uh for all kinds of spin-offs and crossovers and all that and a venom movie was supposed to happen and uh you know a sinister six movie was supposed to happen and and all of this was supposed to go down and none of it happened because that movie was terrible and um here we are again now sony has teamed up with marvel studios they brought spider-man back with civil war they're giving him spider-man homecoming that they're working on together and now they're back to the Venom movie that they want to do so badly because Venom is such a popular character so I understand wanting to tap into the Venom fan base because there there's it's pretty sizable it's not the size of Harley Quinn or Deadpool or other other I guess anti-heroes since Venom has been both a villain and an anti-hero since we found out this week that Carnage is going to be the villain in the Venom movie it's pretty safe to say that Venom himself will be um, more of the anti-hero stance. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sony is positioning this sort of as possibly an R-rated um, kind of counterpart to Deadpool for the X-Men universe, where it's it's uh, you know a standalone movie sort of doing its own thing, not necessarily tied to the, the greater picture of the MCU, of even Spider-Man. Although I question how they're going to do the Venom story with the symbiote without... Having Spider-Man in there, I wonder if they're gonna uh, sneak in maybe a post-credit scene in Spider-Man: Homecoming or something to drop uh, a little bit of a bridge from Peter Parker to uh, to Eddie Brock as played by Tom Hardy. And by the way, that's another huge thing that makes me a lot more uh, excited about the prospect of a Venom movie. And we've heard that we've heard that it's not connected to the MCU, and then we've heard that it is connected to the MCU. So it all appears to be sort of um up in the air i guess is an un- un- unconfirmed i think what it is if you read between the lines it sounds to me like it's going to be part of the mcu and that it's going to relate to tom holland's peter parker which is who is obviously interacting with the avengers and all that but it's not you like you're not going to see venom show up in a in a guardians of the galaxy movie or or in Black Panther or something like that. So it's its its own it's separate branch of the same thing. But it still counts as as the MCU. Kind of like the Netflix shows. Daredevil technically exists in the same world as Iron Man. But you're never going to see them on the screen together. But they still coexist. There's slight references to the other. to From one to the other. Well from the t- TV show to the movie. Not the other way around unfortunately. Um, at least not yet um but that that seems like what they're what they're going for here so as far as what we've heard there's no timeline set the reports say that there's no timeline for spider-man leaving uh the mcu or you know they're they're that contract having kind of an end date in mind and um you know whether or not spider-man's going to be in the mcu for a few years and then sony's going to be like nope we want him back now you made him viable again uh, we're, we're done now our business we're, we're gonna make all our money ourselves here um so hopefully that doesn't happen because i do think that spider-man is you know he's the marquee character in marvel i mean now iron man is but for the longest time spider-man was the best known marvel character the most iconic basically the three most recognizable superheroes were superman batman and spider-man and um you know, maybe spider mans Star faded a little bit with those amazing Amazing Spider-Man films not doing so well. But I think, um, you know, I think it makes sense to keep him in as part of the that world in the MCU because he he does have a pivotal role to play in that. Unlike the X-Men, who can really stand on their own, Spider-Man doesn't really, to me at least, doesn't really have enough juice to sustain his own like dozen, you know, couple dozen. Spinoff sequels and all that stuff the same way that the x-men films do they have they can make x-men films forever So the fact that sony's already trying to make a venom movie. I'm like, okay the venom movie I'll give you that one silver sable and black cat. I don't know I don't know about that one. We'll see and the fact that now i'm hearing that sony is thinking about spider-man spinoffs for characters like Mysterio or craven the hunter and I don't know whether they're gonna be either of those is gonna be the villain in the spider-man homecoming sequel uh, which, by the way, we've heard that Iron Man is not going to be in. They're going to trade it out for another MCU character. People are speculating maybe Captain Marvel, maybe someone else. Um, uh, whether though Mysterio or Craven, who are two characters that I think are the top of everybody's lists for Spider-Man villains that have yet to appear on screen. I, think that, I don't think that we need to see a Mysterio spinoff. I don't want to see every Spider-Man villain getting their own movie. I just I think that that's you're going to be spreading it way too thin. Create a shared universe if you want, but I don't want a Mysterio movie, a Kraven movie, a Venom movie. I mean, why why are we getting a Silver Sable and Black Cat movie when we haven't even met them in these films yet? I feel like they're they're taking on way too much too fast and I worry that they're going to make the same mistake. Sony's going to make the same mistake that they made in 2014 when they botched the entire Spider-Verse or whatever we're calling it. Um, I just, yeah, I think they need to pace themselves. And I I hope to God that the MCU and people over at Marvel Studios uh, have some creative input on some of these films, although it doesn't really sound like they do. So uh, that's a huge, the whole Spider-Man thing is a huge question mark. But you know, you'll hear uh, in the next couple of weeks, you'll hear Freddie and I discussing Spider-Man: Homecoming in depth, and I'm sure we'll get into all of that in uh, in way more detail than I just did. So that's the that's the MCU. So now let's go into some uh, some box y stuff. So apparently, The Mummy, which you've heard me not so not so much praise. Okay, yeah, you heard you heard me hate on it pretty heavily in the last episode. Uh, The Mummy reboot with Tom Cruise took a... People took a giant dump on that one at the U.S. box office. Overseas, it's doing very well. But here, it it is not performing nearly as well as Universal had hoped. Especially since it's supposed to kick off their dark universe. I don't think anybody... I think the darkest thing about it is the fact that it's it's flopping hard uh, in the States. So, we'll see what happens with the... Uh, the Dark Universe plans whether those shifts. I mean, I know we have Bill Condon already lined up to do Bride of Frankenstein, and I think that that, that is, has promise, and I'm excited to see that with Javier Bardem as Frankenstein's monster. And you know, they're still looking to cast the Bride of Frankenstein. I, I just, oh, man, I don't. They need to. They they have a tough road ahead of them. I'm sure that they're going to continue forging forward just because the worldwide gross is sort of it is salvaging the long-term prospects of this franchise but man we'll 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 see there's some course correction that needs to happen there of course also Transformers is another franchise that's you know people are getting really excited about and I've talked about the fact that I'm not talking about that on the podcast because I have zero fucking interest in the Transformers series I saw the first two and I was like fool me once Shame on me. Fool me twice. Yeah, fuck yourself. Basically. So as far Transformers 5? No, not 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 feeling it. But it's apparently tracking for the lowest box office opening weekend of the franchise. So I don't know if that's gonna affect if that's gonna affect uh you know the studios, I believe it's Paramount, if it's gonna affect their plans coming up for all the Bumblebee spin-off and Transformers 6 and they have like a whole story group. Put together to develop new ideas and, and make a Transformers shared universe. I don't know if ever, anyone is going to change their, you know, ch- kind of redirect some of their ideas or consolidate some of their movies, you know, that they have planned um, or what they're doing with that. But yeah, I, I, uh, I hope that that's a sign that audiences are might finally be sort of t- getting tired of these films because I I mean, a lot of people certainly are. A lot of critics and a lot of audiences like it's the kind of movie that you know if you're into it you're you're all about it But the rest of us are just like oh man this shit again every couple years I know that that weekend I need to be make other plans because Not not about that and you know, especially since this the last night is reportedly kind of serving as as uh, As a launch pad setting the stage for all these sequels and spinoffs um Paramount's probably sweating a little bit. Although, like The Mummy, it'll probably do well enough overseas and internationally to uh, to warrant Transformers 35. So, yay, I guess, for, for those of you that are into that. Speaking of sequels that nobody really gives a crap about, at least I don't, we, are, we received word this week that Avatar 2, 3, 4, and... F- Wait, two, three, four, and five. Yeah, that's right. We're getting four sequels. I had to stop it. Like, really, Avatar five? Wow. Um, that they are officially beginning production in September, with of course director and writer James Cameron leading the charge on this. So uh, we'll see about that. I know that now that the Pandora attraction at Animal Kingdom is open in uh, in Disney World. They're, they're banking hard on this, this pulling and this developing into a full-fledged franchise, even though, I mean, it's been eight years and does anybody really, does anybody really want to see that anymore? Like, I'm I'm just curious, Does who's, is who's excited for Avatar sequels? Like, I'm sure they'll come out and they'll be decent because James Cameron usually makes strong movies. There's, there's hardly, there's barely a James Cameron movie that I, that I don't really care for, um the terminator films and aliens and true lies and titanic i think is uh, i'm just tired of it as a as a pop as a pop culture phenomenon it's just when you live through that movie coming out you're either embracing it or you're you're just turned off to the whole thing so um and avatar is fine like i like avatar but it's not one that i feel like compelled to revisit a lot or uh, pop in the blu-ray unless i'm showing off my you know my tv or my projector or whatever um it's not it's not exactly the kind of film that inspires people to go out and buy toys and be like oh i'm a navi and as a costume for halloween you know what i mean i don't i don't know i feel like it's going to be interesting to see how those films turn out and how well they perform considering how long it's been since the first movie and considering that they're not even putting out the second film and then waiting to see the reaction. They're just going full bore into two, three, four, five. Uh, granted, it is one of the highest-grossing movies of all time, and I, I think it still might be the highest-grossing movie of all time, or the second. It's like it's up there. It's between that and Titanic, I know, for all time. Um, I, I just, I just don't know. If you listen to the Slash Film Cast, they, there's a running joke on there where they're all talking. They're talking all the time about whether that Avatar has. Yeah, see it is the highest grossing worldwide uh at the box office with 2.2.8 uh, if you were for round, rounding up billion dollars um but they talk about slash film cast whether avatar has cultural relevance and i really 100 percent don't know that it does aside from the fact that like oh yeah i've seen that movie yeah blue people i get it it's cool um, there's nothing, it's, there's no, no catchphrases or characters that are really sticking in your mind. Maybe N- Niteria, I'd say, comes the closest, but I think that's really a testament to Zoe Saldana's performance, uh, her motion capture performance in that role more than the writing or anything specific going on. It's just, it's more of a visual spectacle than anything else. It's not really a story that I don't think particularly resonated with a lot of people and considering it is basically Pocahontas, Ferngully, and that guy, it's very archetypal, storytelling and not not a whole lot of stuff going on in there that I think really broke the mold from anything other than a technological standpoint. Speaking of again more franchise stuff. There's a lot of this is a big week for franchise news, guys. I don't know what the hell. Um well we heard about Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and that's the reboot slash sounds like it's gonna be a sequel of sorts. To the 1995 film starring the late, great Robin Williams. And it sounds like they're going to really closely tie it into the original film. Where there are clues left by Alan Parrish, Robin Williams' character from the original. uh, That kind of inform this new adventure and drive it forward. I think that is a, a smart way to honor the original film and... And, uh, you know, the actor, that the the character that, that Rob Williams played, as well as the actor, a sort of tribute to him, have him remain part of the continuity, but not feel beholden to retell that story or to start from scratch. I think with the Ghostbusters reboot, if they had done that similar approach, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'm sure, and acknowledged that there was that team in the 80s, and that these girls, these ladies, sorry, not girls, that's sexist. That these ladies were restarting the Ghostbusters franchise, literally, sort of 21 Jump Streeted a little bit. Where they're like, oh, this Ghostbusters franchise has been has been collecting dust for 20-something years. Why don't we bring it back? That kind of thing. I think that that film would not have gotten, ne- not, I mean, it, it still would have gotten a lot of hate from a certain group of people. But uh, I think that it would have sort of uh, taken the edge off of some of that animosity towards uh, the idea of rebooting something that people love so much. So I think the Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle is smart in taking that approach. We also heard this week that Saw 8, which initially was going to be called Saw Legacy, has been retitled Jigsaw. I mean, we don't know a whole lot as far as the story, as far as what this uh, this new film is going to entail rather than other than it's kind of fact that it's going to be pretty much I think it's going to be set in real time with your with the other films it's been about seven years since the last one and presumably Tobin Bell is back as jigsaw somehow flashbacks I guess I'm assuming and if spoilers for the saw franchise he's been dead for like four movies but they keep bringing him back via the the uh, convolu incredibly convoluted storytelling that the, that franchise has had. Which is basically, it's a soap opera with blood and guts everywhere, essentially. It's a splatter opera, whatever. Well, let's coin that term. It's a work in progress. Um, so, I think that's interesting. It sort of sounds to me, with if you're calling it Jigsaw, that it's going to be kind of the origins of that character. But if they were calling it Saw Legacy, I don't know if that implies that it's going to be about, um, maybe he has a daughter that Laura Vandervoort from um, from Smallville, and from actually from Supergirl, also... also Um, that she's starring in the film so I don't know if it's going to be one of those things where it's like the next generation and like Jigsaw has a daughter who's like discovers her father's work and like picks up the mantle of of the Jigsaw killer and that's where the legacy part of it comes in or if the fact that it's titled Jigsaw means that it's going to be an origin story and we're going to see him um, you know Jigsaw when he got diagnosed with cancer and when he sort of developed this persona and his first game's I think you can kind of take it either either way. Um, I do think it's critical that Tobin Bell is back just because he lends so much gravitas to that franchise. That franchise work... What, whatever parts of that franchise work dramatically work because of Tobin Bell because he has that voice and he has that presence on screen. That's part of why Saw 2 II and 3, I think, are two of the best uh, best entries in that franchise because he has a lot of screen time in both of them. Um so it'll be interesting to see where the Saw franchise goes with this eighth installment, and whether they they go for a sort of a soft reboot in focusing on an entirely new protagonist, um, whether they they take it more from Jigsaw's perspective, or you know how the how they're looking to uh, to revamp it. Because I was a fan of elements of that franchise. I didn't. I'm still not into the whole quote torture porn phenomenon and um i'm not really you know i don't go to those i never went to those saw movies for the blood and guts and and the the shock value of it all i found the storyline and the philosophy behind um jigsaw's activity and that sort of perverse sense of morality fascinating and i did get caught up in the soap opera of it all and the fact that you're like they would hint, hint at something an envelope goes under a door and you have to go see the next movie next year to see what the what was in the envelope and whose door that is and that kind of thing and 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 the way it all connects I thought that was really fun and that's what had me coming back to those films so um, we'll see what happens with that but I, I'm in I'm intrigued if not necessarily like hyped about it so one final news story I'm going to talk about I know if like I said this was going to be sort of a rundown of a bunch of different things my thoughts on them and just. Um, it's been, like I said, it's been a big week for, for movie news. It's, it's, uh, a lot of major franchises have been dropping, dropping, uh, you know, dropping new scoops and, and big developments. And of course, of course, with Star Wars being leading the charge, really. Um, so the last one is that Daniel Day-Lewis three-time Oscar winner announced this week that he's going to be retiring from acting and that this upcoming film that he's doing with Paul Thomas Anderson will reportedly be his swan song. And um, there's actually a lot of Daniel Day-Lewis movies I still haven't seen, and even though I was not necessarily the biggest fan of There Will Be Blood, although I do need to revisit it, his performance in that, for which he won the Oscar, the second of three Oscars, is phenomenal, and he has sort of a commitment to uh, he has a commitment to his craft that very few actors have, and he he's method to a T, and I think that. You know, that's a dying art in in film these days. The fact that we're hearing things like Johnny Depp is just like wearing an earpiece and having his lines fed to him because he doesn't want to memorize them and he's just basically literally phoning in his performances and that we're hearing that some actors tend to do that on even huge movies like that. Um, The fact that Daniel Day-Lewis only does a movie every two to three years and when he does, it's phenomenal and he basically becomes that person. I mean, you watch Lincoln... That doesn't seem like the same guy. That soft-spoken actor does not seem like the same person playing. I'll uh, i drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Um, it's uh he has got such impressive range, and um I think if he is really going to retire as it's as it sounds like he is, I think it's a tremendous loss for cinema. And um you know at least he left a, a very sizable and very uh, substantive. Body of work in his wake that we can go back to and enjoy. So, if this is the end of Daniel Day-Lewis, I think um, you know hats off to him. I understand if he wants to take a break. I mean, he's done enough. He, not not take a break, but if he wants to end his career because look, God knows he's accomplished more than ninety-nine point nine percent of actors will in their careers. It's more, uh, sorry for you know any of you actors listening, but three-time Oscar winner and. As respected as he is, arguably one of the best, if not the best, actor of his generation working right now, uh, he deserves the right to to end it on his own terms and kind of move on to another stage of his life. If that's if that's what he uh, you know what he feels like he needs to do, so that's uh, a bit a little bit of a sad news for cinephiles out there. But I think. Um, I think it's an interesting one, and we'll we'll see uh, what his last performance, if it is in fact his last performance, what that holds for uh, for moviegoers when it comes out. I think this fall. So that's all for now. This is the Crooked Table Podcast. You can rate and review us on iTunes, if you'd be so kind. You can also find us on Stitcher. You can send me a tweet if you uh, if you feel like you want to. Argue with me about something that I said if I if I rubbed you the wrong way with any of my reactions to any of these news stories or my lack of a Transformers review. Go for it. I'm uh, I'm down. I can take I could take it, guys. Reach me on at Crooked Table on Twitter. Also find Crooked Table podcasts on Facebook and the other social medias. You can find more podcast reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at CrookedTable.com. Next week, I'm still ironing out the details but it sounds like I will be able to get Kai in here to do a crooked commentary for Batman and Robin uh marking the 20th anniversary I know the last one we did was uh, Nightmare Before Christmas that was last year so I'm uh you know we're taking a little bit of cues from our first crooked commentary which was of Tommy Wiseau's The Room and uh taking the shit out of taking the piss out of a, a terrible movie which ultimately are the are probably more fun to uh to record commentary tracks on and just marvel at the awfulness of it so batman and robin is a good target for that so look forward to that next week until then i've been rob we'll catch you around the table next week roll credits